Father, first for uh, Terry, I would lift her up to you, Lord, as she is in the hospital right now. And she's ready to meet you, Lord, and I pray that you would give her rest in the time that she has remaining here. And I pray that the transition would just be so smooth from this life to the next. And for Nate, that you would comfort him as well as the rest of the family, Lord, and and give him just tremendous wisdom, but help him also uh, to rest in you. Knowing that this is only a time where it's sleep for the believer, where we will be resurrected. But also this morning, Lord, I pray that you would bless your word, that you would have your way in our hearts, that we would not resist you, that we would not seek our own paths, but we'd seek your path. And as we listen to your word, as we go through it, as we read it, we pray that you'd make that transformation. And we thank you, you have not left us as orphans, but you have instructed us on the way to righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we have been going through the word here, we've been dealing with the doubt, the disdain, the disbelief, the dissatisfaction, the denunciation. Those last two are going to be coming. And we saw that with John the Baptist and the leaders, or he compares them with little children throwing fits and the disbelief of the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida. And right after that, after he focuses on the belief of those, the disbelief of those cities and how callous and hard they were, which they would have received tremendous blessing, but they said, no, we don't want anything to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth. After all of that, he goes into this little comment session here. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I talked about the yoke that Jesus has for us as opposed to the yoke that we can get from the world or from those people inside of church, religious leaders, and so on. Everyone has some kind of yoke that is on their neck. Unless you are living in the wilderness with the animals, you still have somewhat of a yoke. You've got to survive. You've got to eat. You've got to find and kill your food and whatever, pick herbs which are out there. All of us have some kind of yoke, but it can be very great, and it might be a lot less in some cases. Now, these burdens or yokes, these are synonyms. They're synonymous. They can be, number one, self-imposed. There are people who impose great burdens upon themselves. They can be imposed by religious authorities. They can be imposed by government authorities. Or the final one, I I don't want to say they can be imposed by Christ because he imposes nothing on us. We have to willingly go to him and be submissive to him and say, please put your yoke on me. And again, this is one of the sad things that people, and I think most people in here, this really doesn't apply, but there are some that just simply say, no, I don't want the yoke. I want to do what I want to do, and I'm not asking God for the direction. People, they plan out their lives, they plan out their directions, 
and they never turn to God and say, God, what do you want? What, what direction do you want for my life? And then if God decides he wants you to go in another direction, do you submit to that? And I'm saying this generically. Like I said, most people in here, I, I don't think that that applies. To give you an example of this, when I was 17, I knew what I wanted to do. I grew up in the area of uh, the Apollo spacecraft and watching the Apollo 11 and Neil Armstrong and all of that. And I was just fascinated and I cut out the pictures and that were in the San Diego Union Tribune and I folded them and I put them in a little cedar box that I got up in the Redwoods and they were very precious to me. And I thought, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to be an astronaut or I want to be, I want to fly jets. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to fly jets. The faster, the better is what I wanted. And I started pursuing that. And the Lord said no. And I was kind of disappointed uh, when that came along. Uh, and I was disqualified because I have a slight hearing loss of high pitch frequency sounds in my left ears. And they said, sorry, you got to be A1. I go, oh, well, that's not fair. They go, hey, you can fly U2 missions over Russia if you'd like. You know, or you can be a flight engineer. I said, no, I have the need for speed, right? That's, that's what I wanted, and, and it was denied me. And so, you know, I took a couple of paths, kind of wondering, well, why, what do you want me to do, Lord? And, and, of course, he led the way he wanted to lead. And I'm satisfied with that. My life has been blessed. And like you, maybe you've had several disappointments of things you wanted to do, but you weren't able to accomplish. But have you always gone before the Lord and said, Lord... What do you want? And if you don't want me to carry out these plans, let me know. Just guide me. I submit myself to you. And in doing so, when you submit to Christ, you take his yoke upon you and you say, wherever you want to lead me. Because that is what, in fact, the person who is plowing the field does. Puts the yoke on the oxen. And by the way, it's for two. Puts the yoke on the oxen. And the oxen are led wherever the master of the field would like them to go. And that's what God wants for us. So he says, take my yoke upon you, for it is easy and my burden is light. Now, this self-imposed burden or yoke, for instance, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, it talks about those who were Christians that treated their bodies harshly and they thought that they would be more holy if they just treated their bodies harshly. Martin Luther, the one who is, uh, he didn't do it with forethought and intent, but he was the head of the Lutheran church. He would go oftentimes and take a flagellum and whip his own back. And he thought if he did that, it would be more pleasing to God. If you go down to Mexico City, you will see that there is a, a large... Um, church, a Catholic church there, and the people will crawl on their knees and make their knees bloodied before they get to the actual doors of the church on the stone because they think that that shows that they are truly repentant and God is pleased with that kind of sacrifice. And that is not what God is pleased with. To obey is better than sacrifice, Scripture says. And we, I'm just like you guys, I don't want to obey. Prone to leave the God I love, we just sang it. I, I have a tendency to want to go my own way. 
And I have to stop myself and say, no. And like you, I am not always successful. I, I, I want to do this, and when I don't, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, I didn't do what you wanted me to do. And that's the whole course of our lives as believers, is doing what the Lord wants us to do. But this self-imposed yoke, we want to avoid that. Also, a, a, an imposed yoke by other religious leaders. Now, in the church, there have been sects of Christianity that will impose heavy burdens. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there are some that are not so heavy, like, for instance, our brothers in the Church of Christ, they would say, no instruments. You cannot play an instrument, and if you play an instrument, well, obviously you're sinning because there are no musical instruments in the New Testament that are used. Yeah, the Old Testament has it, but we're in a new dispensation, so no musical instruments. Then our brothers and sisters over at the Seventh-day Adventists, they would say, well, your diet, you probably need to be a vegan, and you need to worship on Saturday because that's the Sabbath. And they misinterpret Scripture. Of course, they would say, no, I'm misinterpreting Scripture. And they, you know, I just have grace with them. These self-imposed ideals by the religious authorities which are out there, and there are some which are much more burdensome. For instance, the Apostolic Church would say, women should have dresses on that go all the way to the end of the hand, right here down the wrist, cover that, that maybe have a doily all the way up to the neck and the dress goes all the way to the ground and maybe they have black socks and shoes underneath that where there's no flesh being shown and if you get with the program then you're going to be more holy and God says no that is not the case if you read the scripture we have so much freedom that people are afraid of that freedom and the Jews were afraid of the freedom they have, that's why they put up hedges. That's why they put up these rules and regulations that you should follow to keep far away from breaking a command. So they'd go way outside, 100 yards away, and put up these hedges, say, don't go through the hedges by doing these certain acts. If you follow these certain acts, then the Lord will be pleased and you'll never violate one of the laws in the Old Testament or in the Torah. And so they imposed these types of regulations, these types of burdens on the people. So they're self-imposed. There's those imposed by the religious authorities. Then there are those which are imposed by governments. And I talked about this last time. They can be so burdensome, it can affect the populace to the point where there's starvation and disease. Religious requirements and burdens combined with human authority bring physical burdens, poverty, heavy-handed authority, death, disease, conflict, turmoil, starvation, and suffering. All you have to do is go to the Middle East to see that where they have the religious authority and then they have the Sharia law. And you mix those two together. The governing authority is the Sharia law. Then you have the Islam, the religious requirements which are there, and you put them both together and it is a tremendous burden for the people. And if you don't follow after it, they can do things like for a young woman who gets raped, they convict her of a crime rather than the rapist because she was not with a relative who could have prevented something like that. I mean, it's just, it's way out of the bounds of what we would consider right. And so we have these things which are imposed. And then there's the one being submitted to Christ. If we submit ourselves willingly to Christ, again, he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But the Jews did not want to do that. They resisted it. 
And it's our task not to be like the Jews. When we go to Christ, we say, God, your will be done. Do we really mean it when we say, God, your will be done and not my will? I think we reverse that. and I think we say, my will be done and not your will. Because we, like I said earlier, we lay out our lives and that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to submit our lives to Christ. Now, in this, there are examples in Scripture. If you would call somebody a fellow yokesman, that means you would be working with them, whether in ministry, it could be uh, your husband or your wife, it could be somebody that you're very close to inside of ministry or inside the church, the church universal. That you are together, it doesn't have to be from the same church, you are just together, you understand what Christ wants, you understand fellowship, you understand what it is to walk in the Spirit, all of those things, and you encourage each other, and you pray for each other, and and that's the way the Lord wants it to be. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, there was given a directive by the Apostle Paul. It reads there, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintichi to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow. See, he's calling him one who works together with the Apostle Paul, loyal yoke fellow. The name is Sisygus uh, is his name. If you go, I believe it is in the um, King James. He was called yoke fellow. If you walk up to somebody who's also in ministry with you and you say, hey, Sisygus, how you doing, man? It's loyal yoke fellow. You're actually working for the same goals. It said, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Apparently there was a disagreement between two women inside the church and they just couldn't get along. Imagine that, with, you know, just having something like that going on. Two women with different opinions. I've, I've never heard of anything like that. So Paul was encouraging them and they're both wonderful women wonderful the way that they're depicted they have worked alongside paul and so he tells us all work together for the unity of the spirit and if we are in a setting of unity there isn't anything we can't accomplish according to the lord's will so (coughs) excuse me if we are in submission to christ he places his yoke on us but he is also with us so he he serves Two purposes, and it's by his design. He is the one who is at the back, and he has has the reins, and he is directing us if we allow him to. And the people back then would have really understood this. If you go over to Africa, when we we drive in Africa, we eight hours on dirt roads. It's just a wonderful, you know, going along for eight hours or so. And you go by these fields, and you'll see somebody out there, and they have two oxen or they have two donkeys and they're plowing a field i'm just like biblical times going through there and i think i communicated last time we went there was a boy he probably looked nine or ten and he was behind these two cows that were pulling this plow and they were yoked together and the father was out front it looked like the father from a distance and he had this big whip stick 
you know, and the boy was, he, you could see he was just struggling like this as we're driving by him going, oh, that poor little boy, you know, and he's trying to maintain his balance and he has the straps there and the father's just whack on the cows as keep them going forward. And it, it was pretty interesting to be able to see that and that applies to being yoked together. So Jesus would be behind us, but also he comes alongside of us and he says, I'm going to be yoked with you. I'm going to help pull and take the burden with you. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to instruct us, to guide us, and he's right next to us, and we don't have to worry. And if you think, I'm pulling this all by myself, didn't Elijah think that? I'm the only one left. Well, no, you're not. There are thousands who have not bowed the knee to the Baals. You are not alone, and God wants to remind us we're not alone. He's right beside us, but he's also guiding us. He's telling us which way to go, and all we have to do is to submit to that. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will f- fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what? That, that's a phrase, so the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Is it the Old Testament law? Is it New Testament law? If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. So on one hand, he's saying, carry each other's burden, but also carry your own burden. And that's to me as well. We are to carry our own burden. For instance, What has God called you to do specifically? And if you don't know, ask him. God speaks perfectly clear. We just don't listen perfectly all the time. And so if we pursue him, God says, if we follow after him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, he will let himself be found by us. That means you have to... Continue to knock, ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? Is this the direction you want me to head? Is this where you want me to go? If you don't, just let me know. And I'm going to start walking this way. And if you don't want me to walk that way, well, change my direction. I'm open for it. I'm not going to be disappointed. And I know whichever way you call me to, there will I be. And and that's how we're supposed to walk, by faith. Like Abraham, he told Abraham, go. Uh, Where, Lord? Go. Right, left, north, no, Go. And okay. And so he packed up and he went. That's what the Lord wants us to do. Just trust, get up and go. Now, we also want to do a little reflecting on this. We, we need to carry our own loads, what we're supposed to do, but we're supposed to come alongside someone else and assist them. Now, it's great when you have two people that are matched as far as the ministry is concerned. And we are all ministers. There's not one of us who is not a minister. If somebody says, well, who's a minister in your church? You'd say, we all are. <laughs> I'm not a pastor, but I'm, you know, I'm minister like everybody else. It's nice when you get two that are matched, that they're able to pull at the same rate in the same direction. Now, every once in a while, you get mismatched. And if you get mismatched, well, it's a little more difficult. It's kind of like an oxen with a mule. Imagine those two. The oxen, pretty soon the mule is just going to lay down and the ox is just going to pull is what's going to happen. 
And the poor donkey is going to be discouraged, and we have to be careful, if we're a little more mature, to bring along those who are weaker. In Galatians, I just read it to you, 6.2. In 6.1, it says, those who are caught in the sin, you who are spiritual, restore the individual. And so we are supposed to come along and assist each other. It's great when you're matched, and it's a little more difficult when you're not, but God still calls us to do that. Those who have been discipled are supposed to find somebody, grab them by the nap of the neck, and say, you're coming with me, because you're the ox, and they are the donkey. And, you know, if they say, no, I'm not going, because you know how donkeys are. They can be a little stubborn, right? And the Lord has to get a hold of them. And that's why, like with sheep, the Lord had a rod and a staff. Now, the staff, you know, he, he would take the staff and he'd, sometimes a shepherd's crook, you know, grab the sheep and want to look at them, see how they're doing. But if the sheep were being disobedient, if the sheep were doing what they wanted to do, that's the rod. What would they do with the rod? Smack those sheep. That's what they would do. They, they would come over. They'd be doing something they're not supposed to do. He would take that rod and actually beat the sheep. But not flog them, but, you know, one good solid whack gets them back into line. And the Lord does that with us as well. He'll come along and he'll say, you see this? Don't you remember, at least in my generation, when I grew up, <clears throat> sometimes there was a paddle Sometimes there was, dare I say, the belt, right? And that belt was feared. If you, I remember in junior high school, Hilltop Junior High School down in Chula Vista, you'd walk into the vice principal's office if you happened to be in the office area there, and on the wall was a paddle that was made in the wood shop. And they would actually use it. If you did that today, you'd be arrested. But back then, hey, if you messed up, you'd be paddled. If you were just strictly disobedient, the Lord does that. Now, how does he do that with us? Well, maybe you get sick. Maybe something unexpected comes along. The finances take a tank. And you're going along in this direction. You think it's okay. And all of a sudden, a calamity comes along. Or, you know, it just doesn't work out the way that you thought it was going to work out. That's because maybe, not always, but maybe you didn't stop and say, Lord, what do you want? How do you want me to proceed on this? So in reflecting on this, what if somebody, and we're all called to do this, we're all called to be submissive to Christ, bow down to him and say, Lord, put your yoke upon me and use me for whatever purposes you have. If, if you want me to go to the study, I will go. If you want me to go to a foreign country, I will go. If you want me to pray for somebody, I will pray. If you want me to fan my gift into flames, I will fan my gift into flames. Even though you might be a little fearful. I remember the first time in Cambodia when I got there, and it was like midnight or 1 o'clock. I'm going through the streets, and I'm looking out the window. I I got this tinge of fear, like, this is not Kansas, you know. (laughs) This is different over here. But familiarity banishes fear. And once I was there for a while, it's like, okay. But it, w- it was a strange environment for me to be over there. But what if the person says, oh, no, I'm not doing that. Why? Well, because. Well, because why? Did the Lord tell you not to do that? Well, no, I'm just, I'm not stupid. Oh, really? You're not stupid. 
Why don't you just ask the Lord, say if you want you. No, I'm not going to ask. Well, what if we don't bow our heads and say, Lord, put your yoke upon me? What if we are not assisting? What if we are not pulling our weight? What if we are not binding ourselves together with others in the body and giving ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, both personally and corporately? What if we just say, no, I won't. I am saved. That's it. I go to church on Sunday and don't press the issue. Don't ask me to do anything. And sometimes people get offended when you ask them, no, 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 no. I, no, ask somebody else. Moses, does he come to mind? Lord, send somebody else. What happened to him? The Lord showed up to kill him. I mean, if you remember the story, right? Who saved him? His wife. Thank the Lord for wives. You know, saved Moses from being killed by God because he was a reluctant guy, didn't want to do it. Now, am I saying that the Lord's going to kill you? Well, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. But we make judgments about that. As believers, those who are mature, and by the way, it ranges. When you make a decision to judge something like that, it ranges from... They're just being a simple burden. They're just not being obedient to, I don't even know if they're saved. That's, that's what people think. It goes from one end to the other. I will tell you, <coughs> that, <coughs> excuse me, they are simply not acting in love. That is the law of Christ, is to love. And they are not filling that. I read you Galatians chapter 6. But we know Galatians chapter 5 that precedes that, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, the law of Christ is no law at all. It's being led by Jesus Christ himself and the Spirit which he puts in us. And so if we say, I don't want to, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to ask if this is God's will, I'm just going forward with my plan. Well, you're not acting in love. Not only love, it's like you're not even loving yourself because you get the greatest blessing by following Christ. And those who say no, well, they're just focused on themselves. And remember Philippians chapter 2. Consider others better than yourself. You know, Jesus Christ, he became a servant, took on the form of a, a servant, and he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, and did always the will of the Father. He is our example. So the encouragement is, with this yoke business, take on the yoke of Christ, and do not resist, like the leaders of the Jews. They would not submit to Christ. You can't make me, you can't make me. Do you guys know who said that? Gilligan. And it was in an episode with Gilligan where they wanted to dress him up like a woman in one of the episodes. And he goes, you can't make me. You can't make me. And then the next frame, you see him, he's dressed up like a woman. That's, if you don't know who Gilligan is, just go ahead and look it up later. <clears throat> but the leaders of the Jews would not do this. And then the cities, they would not submit to Christ, even though they had the miracles. And Christ condemned them. Because of that, he said, it's going to be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah. For if the miracles done in you were done in them, they would have repented a long time ago. 
And it's this resistance thing. I've told this story in the past. I used to work for, when I was about 19 years old, I worked for the number one calf roper in the United States. He lived down in Palm Desert, and he had this urethane foam spraying business. And I was, I had worked it in Hawaii, and I came back over, and I started working for him. And, and he'd get out there, and he's just a good old boy. You know, he had his cowboy boots on. He had his hat. He had a little bit of tummy right there, but, boy, he could rope. And he would he'd get out there, and his little boy, his little boy was about seven, he wore his cowboy boots too, and he had his little lasso, and he'd get this little uh, makeshift cow that was out there with these legs that went back and forth, and he had roped that thing, and, and his father would turn to him and say, Way to go, son, that's good. And he'd spit out the side, you know, and it'd be all good. And he asked me where I was from, and I said, San Diego. And he goes, that's right next to Lakeside. And I said, it is next to Lakeside. Well, there's a world-famous rodeo there. I said, there is a world-famous rodeo there. And so he got all excited, and we had talked. But he had this healer. Now, healer is a dog. He's a good dog. But this dog, he had this pen that he put the dog in because sometimes he'd come home, and that dog would be miles away. And they'd call him, hey, we got your dog, man. Come get your dog. And so they'd, all right, get in the truck. Come on. Bones, get in the truck. And so they, they'd go get the dog. They'd bring it back. So he goes, I'm going to outsmart this dog. And he, he put this electric wire along the bottom of the fence. He goes, he is not going to like that. And he patted himself on the back. He thought he was so proud. He comes home one day, and the dog had dug underneath. And he actually got to watch what this dog was doing. This dog would go up and he'd get underneath the wire. Now, if you know anything about those wires, they pulse and then they go off. And they pulse and they go off. And it is a shock. Have you ever seen those videos of the, all those kids? They stand up. You know, there'll be 10 of them in one line. And the guy, the guy in the end is grounded. And the guy, he gets ready to touch the fence. And they all, like, explode when they touch it. Well, this dog, he'd get under the fence, and he said what this dog would do, he'd get under there, and that thing would light off. He'd go, mm, and he'd keep on digging. And, mm, oh, and he'd keep on digging. And he'd just kick against the goads, so to speak. And he would do that for five or ten minutes to dig out from underneath. And we do that same thing. We hear what the will of the Lord is. We understand it from Scripture, and we say, I'm doing this anyhow, even if it hurts me, I'm going to do that. And we do that to our own detriment. And there are always consequences for those decisions. Sometimes those consequences can be lifelong. To give you an example I just read about on a little blog, (laughs) sinning, this guy was invited to a, a party by a woman he later dated and married, which is his wife. At the party, he met his wife's younger sister. Well, there was a little bit of alcohol, a little bit too much going on that shouldn't have been going on. Same with the younger sister. Didn't remember the party. The younger sister got pregnant. He later dated, just, he pursued the sister that invited him. Got married to her, nobody knows. Nobody knows 
that he got the younger sister pregnant and that he married the older sister. You know what's going to happen if they ever do a DNA test? It is just going to be a mess. Just a mess. And we do things like that. We decide that we're going to proceed in our own direction, act in a foolish way, and it may not be right away. It may be 15 years later that the repercussions come back to us. And the Lord would be there saying, you know, I would say I told you so. But you already know that. And so when it comes to this yoke business, all we need to do is be submissive to God. If we're just submissive to God, the best blessings wait for us rather than doing what we want. Now this goes on to the dissatisfaction. Here we see the criticalness, the complaining against Jesus, the brewing in their hearts against him. This is Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for them to do, but only for the priest. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent. I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On one hand, it's kind of clear what's going on. On the other hand, there's some cryptic sayings that are in here. For instance, the Jews said, it's unlawful for them to pick the heads of grain on the Sabbath. In other words, they're saying they're picking these heads of grain. They are harvesting. And you're not supposed to harvest. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. But they weren't harvesting. What they were doing... Now, Patty and I, we were over uh, doing a crusade in Ireland. And we stayed in Greystones. And we would walk. We thought it was just a short jaunt. We misunderstood it. And she was in like sandals. And so was my wife. And we're, or so was my daughter. And so we're walking this path. And we're right next to this wheat field. I mean, right. The path is here. And the wheat's right there. We're, we're walking through this. And you see these heads of grain. Uh, not quite ripe yet. But we're looking at it. We're tr- trying to walk over to this next town. Uh, Bree, I think, is the name of the town. <clears throat> and as we're going through, I just looked at that wheat. The fields are white into harvest. Well, it's still green. It wasn't white. But they would grab these heads of grain, and then what they would do, if they were dry, which they probably were, they'd put them in their hand and they'd do this, which, that's winnowing, right? You can't really winnow, thresh and winnow, and you blow off the chaff, the winnowing and the, the threshing, you, you like beat the kernels, and so then you pick out the little pieces of wheat, and you would eat them. Well, they accused... Jesus' disciples, of working, threshing, and winnowing. And you can't do that. And some would say also preparing themselves a meal. All these things were prohibited on the Sabbath. And the Jews looked at them and condemned them for what they were doing. Well, if they really knew the scriptures, and by the way, that's one of Jesus' responses to them. Jesus kind of 
calls him to account, and it's an embarrassment for those who would claim to know the scriptures. But what they were doing is they were adding these different laws. Now, there was the written law that God gave, and then there was this oral law or this oral tradition, which was in the Mishnah is what they called it. And there were 39 things that they could not do, and this is what they did. They, they set up these things so that you would not get beyond the hedge and possibly break a law, and they made those things outside the hedge more important than the actual law, keeping the law. And they said, as long as you keep these things that we have made up, you won't get next to the law. And I could see how the intent on that would be pure. You go, yeah. We're just trying to keep everybody from breaking the law, and that, that would be good. We're helping our brothers and sisters to follow the will of the Lord while they made them more important than the law. They could be suggestions, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests, they just said, no, you can't do those. Otherwise, it's the same as breaking the law. Gleaning in the Old Testament was acceptable. You could walk through any field on the Sabbath if you were poor. And by the way, <coughs> excuse me, the disciples did not have a lot of money. You know, they're walking around and they're kind of hungry. And so they, they pick a head of grain. They do this. This is not harvesting, winnowing, and threshing. You're just gleaning. And you are supposed to do that. You are not allowed to take a whole bushel full. You're not allowed to do that and take it home with you. If you were hungry, you just have some. Like, for instance, if you go to Highway 8 and Lake Jennings Park Road and look across the freeway on the south side, there used to be really large groves of avocados. Now there's less than half the size. If you were walking through the groves, because there's an access road, a fire road that goes up there, you're walking through there and you go, I'm really hungry. And you grabbed one avocado and you said, I'm going to eat this avocado. I'm sure nobody's going to argue with you about eating that avocado. But if you walked up there with a knapsack and you said, I'm having guacamole, you know, and you, you grabbed a whole bunch of them. Now, that's breaking the law. But if you're hungry back then, and by the way, when they harvested the field, they weren't supposed to clean it to every last kernel. They were supposed to leave a little bit for the poor as they went through there to grab some and, and put it in their hand and kind of separate it and kind of eat it like peanuts. You know, they, they put it in. And so Jesus condemned them for this because they condemned the Jews, condemned the innocents. Now, the Mishnah, the things that they did, I'm just going to read some of these. You could not on the Sabbath sow, plow, reap, bind sheaves, thresh, winnow, grind, sift, knead, bake, Shear wool, wash wool, dye wool, spin wool, do any weaving, make two loops, weave two threads, separate two threads, tie or untie, uh, do stitching, tearing, trapping, slaughtering, tanning, scraping hide, making hides, cutting hides into shape, uh, writing two or more letters, erasing two or more letters. You couldn't do any building, demolishing, extinguishing a fire. If it was a fire in your own house, now get a load of this. If it's a fire in your own house, you were not allowed to put out the fire. But if a Gentile was really close to you, they could put out the fire. And if they started doing it, you don't have to object and you can let them put out your fire. But if you saw that your house was going to burn down to the ground and you had some clothing and you wanted to retrieve that clothing, well, you couldn't grab a whole bunch of clothing and go out. You could go and you could put one on. And then you could walk out. Then you could go back in. You could put another one on. Then you could walk out. Then you can go back in and put another one on. How stupid is that? 
And they said, if you do anything beside that, you're going to be violating the Sabbath. I mean, just ridiculous rules. I heard once, I, I haven't been able to verify this, but they, they said that you didn't want to look in the mirror on the Sabbath because if you see something on there, you might do some work to your face. And, and that wouldn't be good. You know, and so all these regulations, and there are more than this. They were in the first 11 categories, activities required to bake bread you couldn't do. The next 13 categories are activities required to make a garment. You couldn't do that. The next nine ca- uh, categories of activities were required to make leather. You couldn't do that. The final six categories are activities to require to build a structure or a building. You couldn't do any of that. And, and some of these things here, for instance, they, well, they, they encouraged temple attendance for prayer, visiting family and friends, hosting guests, singing the songs for the Shabbat or for the Sabbath, reading and studying, discussing the Torah and the commentary. And all of those things, they encouraged those. But there were other things that they were not supposed to do. For instance, they couldn't get pieces of paper and pick them up or carry horse hairs or wax a piece of broken earthenware or animal food. They couldn't carry any of that. You could only walk 3,000 steps. That was it. You couldn't walk more than that. And the Jews, you know, how they got around that, they wanted to expand <clears throat> their house. Like you count from your house if you're going away. Well, what they decided to do is expand their house. And how they did that is they put a rope around the old city and they expanded the rope and they said, well, that's all of our house, so we can walk a little farther. I mean, just they would go to the nth degree to make these rules and then find ways to break the rules. And, and Jesus turned to them and said, what are you doing? You remember Corbin? And I think we'll get to it in Matthew later on. But Corbin is somebody would come along and they would want to give something to their parents to bring some assistance to them monetarily to take care of them. And the Pharisees would come along and say, no, it's a, it's a thing dedicated to God. You can't give it to your parents. And when they started doing that, then the parents weren't being taken care of. And God says, you know, make, put your religion into practice first. Take care of your parents. And that, if that's all the money that you had, and that's acceptable. It's like here, if you have to choose between taking care of your parents or giving some to the church, take care of your parents. God is not so without cash or cattle on a thousand hills that He's going to go, oh, great, they didn't give the money. That's it. Close the doors. It's done. He doesn't work like that. God can have money fall from heaven, please. You know, anyhow, he, he could have, you know, he could do that at any time whatsoever. We don't have to worry. There's certain things we don't have to be concerned about. It's like money. We don't have to worry about money. He owns the universe. He, he could cause a meteor of pure gold to land in anyone's backyard or on the church property. I mean, that's, that's what God could do. And so we don't have to worry or fret about tomorrow. This is Matthew 6, verse 33. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear. You know, pagans worry about such things, and we're not supposed to worry about those. And so generally, it was a burden that was put on the people. They couldn't carry anything as heavy as a dried fig or a quantity sufficient to be of any practical use. <clears throat> and I already told you about the fires and, and just anything like that. Jesus' response to them was, have you not read? Now, somebody who is a scholar in the law and they think they know everything and Jesus walks up to him and says, you haven't read it, have you? 
What are you talking? You know, just the offense would come right there. Uh, if you were in the Middle East today and you said something like that, they would throw their sandal at you because you were so offensive to them. That's a way in our um, economy, in our um, state here in the United States, it would be like offending a woman and she slaps you. That's the type of offense that is being um, perpetrated here. And he's get, Jesus is giving attention to sarcasm, and he intends to insult the scholars of the law because he had just about had it with them. He was kind of up to here. And this is where the decline of the ministry of Jesus takes place because they can't handle the criticism. They don't want anything to do with it. Now, in verse 5, it says, Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrated the day and yet are innocent? In other words, when there was a sacrifice brought on the Sabbath, the priest would have these garments, they would slaughter the animals, they would cut them up, they would throw them on the, the altar there, they'd get a pitchfork, they'd take what was for them, you know, all of this stuff. They were working, that's what they did, but they were not defiled. Even though they desecrate the day by working, they're not defiled. So anything, as far as religious work is concerned, you're able to do on the Sabbath under this law of Moses. And, and then he goes on to say, I tell you the truth, greater, one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desired mercy, not sacrifice, but would not have condemned the, or you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. See, what they would do is they would swear by the temple in Matthew chapter 23 verse 16 through 22 and that's why he says I tell you one greater than the temple is here they would swear by something greater and the greatest thing on earth that they could swear by would be the temple it says in Matthew chapter 23 verse 16 woe to you blind guides if you say if anyone swears by the temple it means nothing but if someone swears by the gold in the temple he is bound by an oath you blind fools which is greater the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred you also say if someone swears by the altar it means nothing but if someone swears by the gift on it he is bound by an oath you blind men which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and, and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. And so he just read him a riot act. You guys have all these rules and regulations. I'm telling you, you think the temple is special and holy. There's one greater than the temple. Who is he referring to? He was referring to himself, that he was there. And if you had known the, what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, which means, you know, when David took the showbread and Ahimelech said, go ahead and eat it, he gave it to him and it was only meant for the priest. David was hungry. It's better to operate in mercy and give it to them. And that's how they were supposed to operate. But they had so many rules that it was affecting the people. They put these huge yokes on them. It was causing them a huge burden. It was onerous. It was difficult to follow what the leaders of the Jews had imposed on the people by their human oral tradition that was in the Midrash. 39 different things you could not do. And Jesus condemned them for it added these different burdens. And as I said, if you combine that with the governing authorities and both are burdensome, 
we are under tremendous strain. So how do we apply all this? They added to God's word. Five times in scripture, it tells us not to add anything to God's word. Now, I'm going to tell you what those are next week. I'm not going to tell you what they are this week. I would give you some homework. Look up and see if you can find five references to adding or being weary of anything in addition to God's word. Just do a little Bible study. And I will ask you that question next week. And let's see if you can dig deep and get in there and find those things. So the exhortation to all of us is, we bow before Jesus Christ. We say, your will be done and not my will. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the examples, the stories, for those who are obedient and those who are disobedient. It helps us, even today, thousands of years later. Father, help us to be submissive in such a way where it has an effect on those who are around us. And if we are making decisions of any kind, ones that will affect our lives, change our course, I ask, Lord, that we would be willing to change them if you tell us to. And bless them if they are your will. But help us to be submissive no matter the case. In Jesus' name, amen.